we're back. Another episode of Talking Maiden. The podcast of the beast. The beer cast of the yeast. <laughs> nice. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Right on. I can't wait to do this album. Brave New World. Brave New World. The yeah. last Maiden album. The last cover. Maiden album. The last Maiden studio album. I'm going to get teary. Yeah. I'm going to get choked up here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it only took us two and a half years. It only took two and a half 16 years. 16 Maiden albums. <laughs> I know. It's been such a, a such a long and, and exciting run. I've got to say, uh, if we'd have done this, Brave New World is one of the first. Brave New World's probably, before we did the podcast, uh, one of my most listened to albums. Yeah. It's probably one of my favorite then and still is now. But I have a completely different perspective on it now given my knowledge I've learned through the podcast of what the band went through in the lead up. And yeah. I, I always yeah. knew it was the reunion kind of disc, yeah. but I never I never really understood it. And now I know so you've you're got... Like talking, being forced to talk for four or five hours about Virtual Eleven. You're like, no, yeah. I really appreciate it. No, I really appreciate it. <laughs> I know. Talk about like swerving out of the ditch. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, um, I, I see all of the notes and I'm really excited now to, to get a deeper look on this. Yeah. I don't know if you're going to surprise me on anything on this album. Yeah, we'll see. I think there's a couple we'll of spots on a few songs where I might bring something up that you might not have noticed. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> hear that hear that <laughs> footprint in the background? <laughs> yeah. The uh, yeah, 12th, 12th Maiden album. The 12th, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, virtual, actual 12. Actual 12. <laughs> actual 12. <laughs> Brave New World. Uh, before we get into all this, yeah, let's, let's start get a with beer the beer. On the go. Oh, I got a really exciting one. Uh, I don't know if we mentioned it in one of our. Uh, uh, we might have had a discussion about it. That that beer event I went to, Craft. We did. Noon. We talked about that. Did we two talk? episodes ago? Okay, cool. Maybe three. Well, I tried this at the Craft Noon, and I was out, and it's the the beer is out now. So the beer is a white out. It's a white stout. Okay. This is an awesome beer from Kitty Vitty. Now we do tons of Kitty Vitty. You know yeah. we. Uh, we have really been hitting the local breweries up pretty hard on this podcast. We have. Which is but, great. I mean, you know what? So There's just constantly new uh, craft beers, and yeah. they've all been pretty good, except for a handful. Exactly. Come to Newfoundland, enjoy our craft beer. So anyway, this one is going to blow your mind. Okay. Do not spend your time worrying about those wasted beers. All right. Check this out. Just watch this. Okay. Now, if you... This okay. is a white stout. If you closed your eyes. Yeah. So it looks like I'm drinking a it looks like ale a, or something. Yeah, almost like a, a wheat. It looks it's like yeah, a like lager almost. Wheat. Yeah. Now, smell that. Smells different. Taste it. It tastes like a, a Murphy's. Isn't that so exciting? <laughs> it's amazing. It's kind of cool. I've never had a white stout before. I know. This is one of those things you're just grabbing on the radio. Uh, listen, everybody, it looks like <laughs> it looks like a blonde beer, but it tastes like a dark now. beer. <laughs> the white out stout from Kitty Bitty. Mm. 6%. I will be picking up a few more of these outside. Oh, that's it's brilliant. Lovely little beer. It's weird because it doesn't smell like a stout, but it tastes like a stout. I know. It's cool. I know. It's amazing. And the price of a lager. <laughs> It is like I I can't believe it's not butter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe it's not it's it's not a fake stout. I don't know how they did that. They managed to. Uh, That's cool. Yeah, really, really cool. Well, aren't stouts just don't they just roast the grain? Is that why they're isn't that why they're dark? Yeah, that's right. They roast it. They roast it. It's the grain they roast, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Look, I went through the Guinness <laughs> process three times. I got the the certificate a oh, couple yeah, times. Even the third time, I was like, "Don't give me another certificate." Because <laughs> I when I worked in Dublin. 
we'd have people traveling for work, and they'd be like, Josh, you're a foreign guy. Take him out for a night supper. So I did this all the time, oh, yeah. right? I'd be like, well, the company's paying. i got to take these people out. I had nothing else to do. After the Guinness. Yeah. But I went to the Guinness Brewery all the time. And the worst thing was is people would show up. They'd be like, after year five, right? They'd show up, and they'd be like, hey, Josh, uh, do you want to go to the Guinness Brewery? I'd be like, F off. Like, I'm not going there. <laughs> or I'd walk in. The guy at the door would be like, hey, Josh, back for another. I was like a tour guide, you know? I swear to God, I went there at least five, maybe six, eight times. But I did the actual pour certificate yeah. myself like three times. I've got the I've got a book on uh, Guinness upstairs and the history of it all. Nice. You'd probably find interesting. Not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, but you know what? The best part, We're, the reason I brought up that story is I managed to go all those times and still not learn. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Twelfth studio album. Twelfth. From the first as a six piece mm. from May of 2000 released Brave New World produced by Kevin Shirley. Okay. And first, Steve Harris. First Shirley album. The first one, yeah. Kevin Shirley album, yeah. Okay. And in France, I always think it's 2001. Why do I always think it's 2001? But it's it's 2000. It, it's, they started before the turn of the millennium. They didn't know if the world was going to end or not. Yeah. Which also, that's part yeah. of the Brave New World. Uh, Obviously. Yeah. It's a perfect thing. Like you're starting yeah. a new millennium. You know, you've got your band back together. It's a Brave New World. It's a yeah. perfect title. It is a cool, cool. Yeah. I always think this is like a good link between the old Bruce sound yeah, and kind of the progressive rock sound that like they had with Blaze Bailey albums. Yeah. The long kind of prog rocky song structures. Yeah. But then you get the Bruce kind of sound and delivery. Yes. And a few short rockers in there. Yeah. Fallen Angel, Wicker Man. Absolutely. It's pretty cool. And they, they, they take the epic... You know, yep. to the next level, but yep. the Bruce, two songs over nine minutes, two songs, over and the nine. rest are like seven or eight. Yeah, there's there's Other really than those two short even ones. like Wicker Man is is pushing five minutes. Yep. It's like, um, but you know what? As we go through, one of the things that came out of me, it came out again for me as I've as I paid attention and started taking notes and you know trying to analyze the songs for this, I started to get hints of that that kind of '90s Bruce. Oh yeah, yeah, and he's not the Bruce in this album, but he's awesome. Uh, you know, spoiler alert. I, I feel love this. Uh, why am I cursing? Spoiler alert. I love this album. Yeah. Um, but he's a, a different Bruce than you see later on. But anyway, we'll bring that Maybe. as we go. Yeah, you should yeah. bring that up as we go. I'm through. going to. Um, I've got a quote from Bruce. This is from 1999. He says, Bands should have watershed albums, and Maiden's not had one of those in a long, long time. This could be it. Ooh. So I think he was kind of right. Yeah. This is a watershed for like Maiden and their career trajectory. Yeah. So there was already work started on a third Blaze Bailey album, a third album with Blaze Bailey for me. Um, I got a quote from Blaze, and he says, I knew the third album was going to be a hit. The third album would be the one that proved that taking such a huge leap with a different vocalist would finally pay off. But of course, that never happened. Ooh. So I read an interview with Adrian Smith, and he says, The Nomad, Dream of Mirrors, yeah. The Mercenary, were written for Virtual Eleven. Um, I also heard a Blaze interview where he says that him and Steve worked on Blood Brothers during that time. Wow. So four of these songs were supposed to be for a third Blaze Bailey made yeah. album. And in fairness, four of those songs are better than <laughs> the best songs <laughs> on the, the two albums that Blaze got to do in a sense. Now, we won't rehash that. Yeah, yeah. But these are... It could, yeah. yeah. Well, I'd love to hear Blaze They're do. all... I can't imagine Blaze doing like... Uh, the Nomad. Mercenary. I think you'd do a good job on The Mercenary. Yeah. So Mercenary I mean, Nomad. Blood Brothers. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've heard him do Blood Brothers. There's a version of him on YouTube doing Blood Brothers. It's really yeah. good. 
And in a moment, the memories are all that remain. And all the wounds are reopening again. We're blood brothers. We're blood brothers. We're blood brothers. We're blood brothers. And as you look. So that's a really interesting because I we, we talked when we did Virtual Eleven. We knew that uh, that these tracks had been kind of left on the cutting room floor, but I didn't really put the perspective that Blaze was. They were preparing a third album, and you know they were probably in there making decisions, and maybe Nomad wasn't there, and they said, you know, we're yeah. going to leave that for the next album. That's a very different perspective from him now that that it's Bruce's. Yeah, album. I don't know if they had these songs done and were working on them with Blaze, or if they were yeah. just kind of song ideas that they kind of had kicking around at that time. Yeah, I never really found any detail on that. But these songs do predate this whole reunion thing. Wow. And they go back to, they were kicking these ideas around during the Virtual Eleven sessions. Um, so if you step back a bit in time from this album coming out, mm-hmm. like, okay, so if we go way back to before Virtual Eleven came out, Iron Maiden, February 12th, 1998. So this is a month before Virtual Eleven comes out. Yeah. Iron Maiden posts on ironmaiden.com this post, and it says, Rumor Control. There are lots of rumors flying around that Blaze has quit the band and Maiden are splitting up. Completely untrue. Iron Maiden are as strong and together as ever before. The whole band are really looking forward to finishing the album and getting back on the road. There have been many reports of a Maiden reunion with Bruce Dickinson. This is also completely untrue and is probably linked to Bruce's new album and tour with Adrian Smith. So there's this rumor control thing posted on IronMaiden.com in 1998. Oh man, back before Twitter. So that was like a month before the album came out. There was already rumors of Blaze not being in the band before like Virtual Eleven came out. And on the tour, Blaze cancels a few sh- shows with voice problems. We talked about this yep. before. Um, he says he had a reaction to pollen. Um, I always think that maybe it's the strain on his vocal cords. Yeah. And I kind of went into in past episodes about how maybe Maiden should have tuned down a bit to accommodate his vocal range yeah but being singing out of your register like that would be really hard on your voice i have a f- feeling that that might have something to do with it but um you know they're playing this tour they're playing smaller venues it's got to be a little bit like kind of disheartening for a band yeah. um you know they're still playing south america and japan they were playing some big venues i looked up a few random venues in the uk so sheffield city hall yeah. That's like about 2,200 people. Yeah. Portsmouth Guildhall, or is that how you pronounce it? It's all one word. Yeah, Portsmouth. 2,500. Yeah. Wolverhampton Civic Hall, 3,000. Yeah. Newport Center in Wales, 2,000. Manchester Apollo, 3,500. Wow. So if you could see Maiden in like a 2,000 person venue today, you'd like freak out. Wow. Have a chance to see that. Manchester Apollo. And then they get to the United States. And in New York, they played the Roseland Ballroom, which holds 3,200 people. Yeah. Which is, when you think about, they played the Radio City Music Hall in New York, which is 6,000 people, and they did five nights in a row during the Power Slave Tour, right? Yeah. So you can tell they're kind of not at the height they were. So the uh, Manchester Apollo, just to give that a perspective, a far cry smaller than when we saw them at the arena on the Legacy Right. Tour. Right. Yeah. And I was just wondering, the Apollo, because... I didn't remember it from my time in Manchester. And I was wondering if it wasn't, um, yeah, just a, a small little venue, 3,500. I mean, I can't remember the numbers when we were there, but there was tens of thousands, and the capacity for yeah. the arena is, is way bigger. So different scale. Yeah, Manchester Arena 
where yeah. we saw them on yeah. Legacy of the Beast. No, that was the Book of Souls tour. No, it was Legacy of the Beast. Oh tour. yeah, you're right. It was yeah, Legacy, it was of Legacy of the Beast tour. last year. It was the first of our three England legs. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So that was twenty twenty one thousand. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of people. Ten times. <laughs> yeah. As big yeah. as some of these venues. Yeah. Um, and I'm making it sound worse than it is, just to kind of drive home, home a point. Like, uh, they're also playing some big venues. And if you go into the 80s, like, they were playing some smaller venues, too, back then. But yeah. generally, if you look at the venue size, they're kind of, you know, playing smaller, like, venues. Yeah. Meanwhile, Bruce, who's off doing his own thing, having a pretty successful solo career, um, has Accident of Birth and Chemical Wedding released in 97 and 98. Very solid metal albums. Yeah. Both great great albums, both with Adrian Smith. So Bruce just finishes this Chemical Wedding album with Adrian, and he's kind of, I think, kicking ass compared to Virtual Eleven. Walking on the buggy shore, watch the waves come rolling home. Through the veil of pale moonlight, my shadow stretches out its So Maiden's yeah. doing their thing. Bruce is doing his thing yeah. with Adrian. So Maiden's playing smaller venues. Uh, Bruce is playing much smaller venues. Bruce is now December 98. I looked mm. up some of the venues he was playing in. December 98, he played the Astoria 2 on Charing Cross Road to 800 people. He played Cambridge Junction in Cambridge, uh, max capacity 850. And the Manchester Academy 3 at University of Manchester... Max capacity, 470. Wow. So that's the kind of sizes of venues that like Bruce is playing. So Bruce wow. is, you know, they Maiden and Bruce both separately doing their own separate things, but both playing to much smaller Yeah, they're leaving crowds. a lot of money on the table. Exactly. A huge amount of money. Yeah. I mean, just think about that. You get Even if you sell it to eight, eight, 800 people, you're not walking away with a huge check, and you're Bruce. Yeah. You're Bruce Bloody Dickinson. <laughs> so Bruce is playing these small clubs. Yeah. Kind of getting a little sick of playing to these small crowds. Uh, Maiden tour is not going that well. There's mm. some pretty bad vibes in the band at this time during this Virtual Eleven tour. Blaze tells the story of playing in Brazil. The band does their final song, and Blaze is getting ready for the encore. Mm. And the rest of the band just, like, is gone. No encore. And Blaze is like, what? What happened? He knew, knew there was something up. This was actually, I looked it up. It's December 5th, 98 in Rio. Um, they don't do an encore. And Blaze is, wow. but they don't even tell Blaze, and he's just kind of like, doesn't know what's going on. But he's like, you know, there's bad blood. Yeah. I got a quote from Nico, too, and he says, If we hadn't got Bruce back, there was a possibility we'd have hung it up. We knew that Bruce needed us, and we needed him. So finally, I brought the subject up with Ari. He took a bit of persuading, but even he knew it underneath. Plus Nico. Yeah, you talking. know you know he was pushing hard. He was. And you he can was... just see him being like, come on, boss. Like, yeah. yeah. So after the tour, and we talked about this a few times over the last couple of years. After the tour, after Christmas, Blaze gets called into the sanctuary management offices. And mm. they tell him, you know, you're not the singer of Maiden anymore. And I'm going to mention this again. This is the third time I've said this on the podcast, but it's a cool story. Um, 
Bla- in this meeting, Blaze asks if Bruce is coming back. And they tell him yes. And Blaze's response, and I have this quote here from him. He says, the world is a better place with Maiden in it. I want the band to continue. And as hard as this is for me, if that what if that's what it takes, get Bruce back. Yeah. So Blaze is just like Fair his play. love of Maiden above uh, yeah. himself being the band. I think he kind of realized. But it's also a very classy move. It's a very, very classy move. Yeah. And I think it's, yeah. I thought Speaks that was pretty to, cool. You know, also set him yeah. up for, you know, he got... We, we've been through it enough. Yeah. He got kind of jerked around after he left with his own record company. But right. in the long run, it's benefited Blaze. I think he sent a lot of goodwill out there, visualized his own success, and now he's got a, oh, yeah. you know, he's, he's got a lot going for him yeah. now. So it worked out. on my uh, bucket list now for the next yeah. couple. i got to see a Blaze show, and I want to see a Bruce mm. Lyons show. Yeah. Um, so according to Mick Wall's book, Run to the Hills, the official biography of Iron Maiden, um, Rod sort of goes to Bruce and Steve separately. And kind of works on both of them. You know, he's kind of like playing both sides. He gets them both to agree to meet at his house, at Rod Smallwood's house. Um, I also read that it was at a at a pub or at a bar or somewhere. But in this book, which is apparently the official Iron Maiden biography, Rod Smallwood says it was at his house. They finally got in the same room. You know, the, all the bad blood falls away. There isn't really any there, you know. Yeah. They both said that during this meeting, well, Steve and Bruce... You know, they kind of realize they both want this reunion to happen. Bruce makes it very clear that he wants to do a new album. Yeah. A proper producer, a proper studio. Yeah. No more of this, like, recording in Steve's barn. You know what I mean? He doesn't want to do this barnyard studio self-produced thing. Fair point. And he definitely wants to do a new album. And I have a quote from Bruce, and he says, I just think the sound on the last couple of albums I did with the band was dire. Oh, so he's yeah. Yeah, there's your fear and uh, no prayer. Yep, take that away, right? <laughs> so I got a long quote here from Bruce. He's talking about this meeting. Yeah, he says all I needed to know was that we were not going to come back as some sort of reunion type thing. I didn't want to go back to the past. This was going to be about putting a band together that was looking ahead to the future to do a great new album, and I really wanted to restart the whole impetus and direction of the band. And Steve said that's what he wanted to do, and I was like, okay, let's do it. And, of course, the first album we came out with after that was Brave New World. I think one of the best Maiden albums we've ever done. Yeah. So they get together in this meeting, and I think they both kind of wanted it. Yeah. And they got over whatever differences they had pretty quick. Uh, Next thing they do after this meeting, right away, call Adrian Smith. Oh, yeah. I got a quote from Adrian. He says, I don't think I would have come back in the band if they said, if you come back, Yannick's going to go. Unless he left of his own free will, that wouldn't have been cool. Yeah. So the three guitar lineup, Dave and Yannick team up from the 90s. They're still together. And then you get Bruce and Adrian. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the good Bruce, not the raspy Bruce. <laughs> yeah. Although there are some hints in there. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, some small stuff. So Bruce and Adrian are back. Yeah. And Maiden's bigger than ever. Yeah. Literally wow. bigger than ever. Literally, <laughs> yes. As a, a six-piece. Literally now. and figuratively. <laughs> yeah. But mostly literally. Six-piece. So basically, Maiden were doing okay with mm. Blaze. And Bruce was doing... Pretty good for a solo artist. When they get back together, you know how you're always talking about hockey teams and it's they're more sometimes than some of their parts? Oh, completely. That's what happens here. This They do have an extra guitar player. Yeah. But the chemistry is there, the lack of egos. Like they're, I think they, they're bigger than ever. Yeah, and also let's, let's not forget that let's not look back on it now and go, oh, they came back together and it was perfect. It was not without risk. Right. Right. Um, Bruce and Harris at that stage are older than I am. Yeah. And 
they're now playing in small clubs, it's very easy for them to look at the future and be like, do, you, do we think we're going to be bigger than we were in the Power Slave Tour, yeah. which is now 16 years in the past, 16 right. years. That's like me being like, oh, remember when I graduated university? Like, I'm just going to turn that back on. Yeah, it's yeah. a different game. Yeah, so true. when you put yourself in their mindset, you realize it's not risk-free, but they, they were like, we got to, they probably were like, we got we got one or two kicks at this. Yeah. You know, we don't have four albums. Yeah. Like, we got to get this right. Little did they know. <laughs> Little did they know. Well, unless they get it right. Yeah. And they came out the, the gates with a scorcher. Um, it's funny. I got So I got this. Someone wrote me this on Twitter. Hmm. His username is Iron American. <laughs> and he wrote me this. Love this it. was way over a year ago. Yeah. And I just kind of copied it and pasted it into this document. Um, and it's been sitting there for a year. And I just wanted to read it. And he said, uh, I was, it's some... Sometime when I was talking about the Blaze albums being great, mm. he said, Unfortunately, Nesbitt, the two Blaze-era albums never grew on me. I appreciate the writing and musicianship, uh, but you can't help compare the vocals to Bruce or even Paul. And then he says, When Brave New World released, it felt like I had been underwater for too long and was catching my first breath. I thought that was a very cool oh, wow. uh, take. That's the quote of the day. <laughs> That's awesome. So I put that quote aside for like yeah. over a year now, waiting for this episode. Iron American. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Iron American. Iron American. Yeah. America. So that's how the reunion happened. Yeah. For writing the album, um, I read one place that they wrote five of the songs before the Ed Hunter tour. Yeah. So I read an article in Metal Hammer. They have an interview with Bruce. And mm. he says, uh, according to Dickinson... Five of the album's songs are already written, and the rest will be finished upon the tour's completion in October. Recording is scheduled for November with a producer whose identity they're still unwilling to reveal. Okay, so wait now. So let me just back this up yeah. just to get this right in my mind. So towards the end of the fall in in 98, uh, the Blaze things happen. Yeah. You know, he uh, Smallwood gets them yeah. back together. Everything's going to happen. We know that they start recording towards the end of 99 and release in early 2001. Yeah. In between the end of uh, 98 and the end of 99 where they record, they do the Ed Hunter tour. We know that yep. they're coming in to this with four or five of these tracks. Right. So I'll, they release, yeah, I'll just try and line okay. it up for me, yeah. So you're right. Okay, so Blaze is out of the band. Yes. The reunion happens. Yes. Uh, Iron Maiden, right before the end of 90. Iron Maiden yeah. releases a press release okay. on Wednesday, February 10th, 1999. Okay. That the reunion is happening. Yeah. And they start writing this album March of 1999. So that's March of 99. April yeah. 21st of 99. This is funny. They post a video of the three guitar lineup playing on their website. Yeah. And uh, it's funny because it's a little tiny video clip of the three guitar lineup. Yeah. And uh, underneath it says, no complaints about the quality. This is the web. If you want the real thing, go get it on VHS. <laughs> Fantastic. That just shows how far the web has gone. I know. From, uh... I know. What's, what's VHS? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. What um, does VHS stand for? Video. I don't know. I don't know. It's a brand name. I don't know. Yeah, probably. Anyway, 20 years later, they don't even bother Everybody putting knows. out any kind of physical product because the web is better you, quality. You know, there was you know someone who wrote it and was like, actually, if I want the high quality, I'll go with Betamax. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, asses. Enjoy your reunion. So uh, this is March. They start writing this new album. Yeah. They write five songs. Bruce calls the songs not unfinished, but unrehearsed. They go on this Ed Hunter tour. This is like a tour to kind of get some band I guess I want to get the yeah. chemistry on the band and you know kind of break Bruce in as a member of Maiden again yeah Bruce sounds amazing on this tour by the way yeah 
So I guess they have the Nomad, Dream of Mirrors, Blood Brothers, the Mercenary, and Wicker Man. That's what I'm guessing the five are. Yeah. Just based on what I've read. Bruce says in this interview that they had the whole album written, but not fleshed out when they went on this tour. We uh, started writing the album back in March of last year, and we we had all the songs together, and we'd gone through them a few times, but not enough to be confident, certainly not enough to sort of go out and play them live, uh, but enough to have a version committed onto just a little cassette recorder or something from the rehearsal rooms. And uh, we left it like that, and we didn't touch those songs until after the tour. We, then, we went and we played the old stuff, um, uh, almost like going into training. The tour was almost training for, you know, going in and transferring all that vibe into the studio. And suddenly we were back to rediscovering all these songs. The only reason that we were playing live every day and rehearsing was to do the songs for the album. So we, we just went in there with the same spirit that we had been on stage. And rehearsed the songs and played them live every single day. We just went through every song, every day, live, like it was a gig. And then we packed up the equipment, and two days later we walked in the studio, and the day we started in the studio, we put uh, Wicker Man down. Nice. So, yeah, they break these songs, they go into He says they had the whole album written, and then they went on this Ed Hunter tour. Yeah. Um, sometimes they say they have half of it done, but yeah. it doesn't really matter. They... Yeah, it's like how long is a put the tour training? in yeah. the middle of? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because they had the, they had a, they had the ideas, but they right. you know. So the Ed Hunter tour starts mm. in St. John, New Brunswick, July eleventh, nineteen ninety nine. Really? Yeah, they set up in St. John, New Brunswick, Canada, and they do rehearsals for a week there. I read a firsthand account of Steve Harris on these. This is kind of interesting. They spent a day getting monitor levels and sound mixing, and then they basically run through the entire set with full pyro and everything, and videotape it, and then they get together and they watched the tape and they make slight changes and stuff kind of like how uh you know how like a coach would sit down and watch yeah a game tape game tape yeah so they tape the concert the rehearsal of the concert and then they watch it and they fix things with like the lighting and the timing and stuff the pyro and that's in the winter of 99 july oh it's in july so summer, yeah. yeah so and what are what are they why new brunswick i don't Any know reason i don't know do you know what's i was an hour and a half away from that at 99? Like, yeah. In- I, I say I said it was in New Brunswick that summer. Okay. Yeah, it was maybe two hours away. I was yeah. in, outside of Moncton doing physics research. You know I was probably in yeah. St. John in yeah. July of 99. I, I know. I was doing I was there. I was in New Brunswick that yeah. summer, too. I was working in a solid-state physics lab. True story. <laughs> <laughs> so Bruce shows up. Yeah. The quality of this clip's pretty bad, but this is Bruce doing Aces High at his first show back. they didn't have that high quality VHS sound <laughs> <laughs> that quality of that bootleg is pretty bad but that's Bruce's first song when he's back in Maiden man that's crazy yeah. that you were there down the road in New Brunswick I was there in New Brunswick we didn't even know each other no little do we know that Iron Maiden was spending a week yeah you know rehearsing in St. John New Brunswick that's crazy um, Bruce doesn't really make much of a big deal out of this being his first show back he mentions it in passing before the Klansman Uh, well, 
I'd say this is sort of, sort of carries a sort of a government health warning if you come from the United States because this is actually about Scottish people. So, and it's not to be confused with silly, silly old men wearing white sheets and pointing hats. This is about the Scottish version. It's called the Klansman. Oh wow! So he kind of mentions like this yeah. is my first show back, and it's funny there he's making that yeah. comment about like Klansman with a C. That same joke that he's making now on this yeah. tour. Yeah, he was making it like twenty years ago. Which I'm glad because yeah. that whole you know the, the don't be getting too political on this whole idea that you know everybody's a Nazi now. So I think it's getting a little <laughs> tired. So I'm glad to see that that there. That's good. Yeah, but that's awesome. In New Brunswick, could have yeah. thought, eh? Um, a funny another thing I read about this yeah. tour. I know we're getting off on a little bit of a side tangent here on the Ed Hunter tour, but it's right. Yeah. this happens right in the middle of writing the album. Yeah. At this point, Bruce is flying the band around in a plane. What? Part of the band. So he has a yeah. small plane with Nico, Steve, and Rod Smallwood. So the four of them are flying around with Nico co-piloting, because don't forget Nico has had a pilot's license too. I didn't know that. Yeah, so Nico's co-piloting, and then they got Steve and Rod in the back. Um, Yannick, Dave, and Adrian are flying domestic. Or taking a bus. Wow. So it's weird. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> that's just a little fun fact. That is crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I read an interview where they were like, yeah. talking about it. Um, tour ends October 1st, 1999. Yeah. 28 gigs. Like Bruce says they deliberately wanted to end the tour after a small amount of shows. Yeah. They didn't want to be like a nostalgia reunion tour. They yeah. just wanted to like, kind of break them in. I think they're probably itching to get back at these new songs too. So then November of 1999, they start writing and rehearsing in Portugal. And you'll I read a few of my Maiden books that um, they said it was a few different places in Europe. Hmm. But it is Portugal. Um, they rent an empty airplane hangar for about a month in Portugal. And the reason they went there is Steve owned, at the time, two villas in Portugal. So Steve and his family stayed in one, and the rest of the guys stayed in the other. Wow. And then they go to this empty airplane hangar and, like, write songs and jam. So it's oh, kind of man. cool. That's so cool, <laughs> eh? I love that idea. It's like, we could go back to where we live and just jam there. No, we got to go somewhere epic. Yeah. Let's do that. Uh, I got a quote from Bruce, and he says, uh, It's all very grown up, and we're working together more closely now than at any other point in the band's history, maybe with the exception of the Number of the Beast album. We've been setting the gear up in a circle, and everyone's been making suggestions, modifying what comes up. Sure, it can get a bit lively at times, but constructive argument is a good thing because it shows that people care. Yeah. So they're all, you know, it sounds like they just have their equipment set up, their amps in a circle, and they're just sitting around, like, writing these songs, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And working on these songs. I'd love to see that that process, eh? Yeah. Oh, that'd yeah. be so awesome. That'd be so cool. I got another quote from Steve Harris, and he says, uh, we rehearsed the new stuff in a rehearsal room rather than in a recording studio. We rehearsed the stuff really well. So that when we went to do the backing tracks, they went down obviously a lot quicker. We rehearsed the songs as if we were going to play live. Hmm. So they basically, these Iron Maiden Brave New World songs, hmm. they learned them, arranged them, and then they just played them and played them and played them and played them so that when they got in the studio, you know, yeah. they were rehearsed as if they were doing it as a gig, which is kind of the opposite of what they did for Virtual 11. Yeah, that's right. Virtual 11. Remember they talked about how they had the ideas and they kind yeah. of like went in the studio and just like tried to capture them, yeah. you know, the raw energy of the songs. Exactly. So they do the exact opposite with this, which is like they play them and play them and play them and play them. Yeah. And then they go to the studio with Kevin Shirley. 
Yeah, there's a lot of detail in these songs too that would take yeah. a ton of time to evolve, and and there's so many co-writes. But that's the you know? difference between Virtual yeah. Eleven and the jump to this. Oh man, I think is the time spent rehearsing and finalizing the songs. Yeah, and I think Virtual Eleven, if they had have taken that time, hmm. if they had had those Virtual Eleven songs, and then they took a month to just play them and play them and play them and play them. Yeah. I think they would have turned out very different. Yeah, well, we think studio album and studio album, we think it's comparable, but you can just see the layers and the depth in the songs, yeah. the quality of the production. Everything is different. Obviously, there's way more emphasis on it. They're not rushing it out. They're back. They've taken so much time on the writing. I mean, we've talked about albums where they went in and four weeks later they had the album. Yeah. Right? Now yeah. we're in a situation where they had five of the songs and they go on a tour. Then they're around prepping, prepping, prepping. Yeah. This is like a year long. So it's completely yeah. different even even by their standards, which probably shows you how important it was to them to get it right. Yeah, I think so right? too. That, that, that they just knew this had to be good. Imagine yeah. if they didn't come out so strong. It'd be a totally yeah, different story. Yeah, if they had around. a reunion album and it was weak, yeah, yeah, it wouldn't look very good. I don't it think. wouldn't look good. And all of a sudden you're a 40-year-old and you, you don't yeah. have it. And then everyone's like, you know what? It had nothing to do with Blaze. Yeah. It's the band. That's right. Yeah. But I think to me, I think it's, it's the, the time spent on these songs oh, that they definitely. come off so much better. Plus the production. Yeah. And I said yeah. that when we talked about Virtual 11. I said Virtual 11 sound, and production, you're right. But I think mm-hmm. Virtual 11 kind of sounds like, yeah, it sounds like unfinished song ideas. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're not polished. No. You just think about the layers and like Dream of Mirrors, how much is in yeah. that song, I you know? know? Right? Ghost of the Navigator. I mean, yeah. it's just like there's so much in these songs. Yep. And they're just so deep and so many epics. It's just, yeah, I love it, man. Yeah, I can't no, wait great. to get into them. This is great. It's funny because, okay, so at the end of 99 into 2000, they start recording the album in Paris. Hmm. So they go to Paris with Kevin the Caveman Shirley. <laughs> so this is his first album, and he produced everything since then. Yeah. So this is where he starts his, like, the Kevin Shirley phase of Maiden. Hmm. Uh, I don't really want to get into the sound of the production on this album in this episode because we'll be like... Hmm. Forever. Well, yeah. Good way we'll down. get into that now in like the next episode or the episode after that. Mm. But uh, either you like the Kevin Shirley production or you don't. I've got a quote from Kevin Shirley when they asked him to, yeah, you know, get involved with recording this album. He says, to be honest, when I got the call, I was less enthusiastic than I should have been because it appeared to me they were a band that had maybe lost their way. I was concerned because I'd had a look at where they'd been and the trajectory of the albums. It seemed like there was a pattern emerging and it didn't look good. So I was apprehensive about it. Ooh. So basically, he bought into all our belief, which is they were on a downhill slide yep. from from Seventh Son, and and he didn't know if he could turn the ship around. Yeah, so he's a bit apprehensive, yeah. but they get him. So basically, the way he records is learn your songs, have yeah. them down, come in the studio, set up live, you all play together, and yeah. I record you all. Yeah, and we do a bunch of takes. You yeah, know, they do do overdubs afterwards, but the bass tracks of these are all recorded recorded live. Yeah. So Bruce says about the vocal tracks, he says we put everything down in twelve days. Which is pretty quick, compared to going back to some of those '80s albums where, like, they laid on the drum tracks, then they yeah. lay the bass on, then they lay That's the right. rhythm guitar, and they build the tracks up. Yeah, this is a band recorded basically live in the studio. Yeah, now they do cut and snip stuff. You know what I mean? They take vocal takes and you know what I mean. That's Comp right. stuff together. That's right. But the, that feeling is there. And not only that, by playing live, like if you think about his perspective. And, you know, he, he had quite a uh, quite a background before he came into this. I remember we talked about it a while ago. Um, and, you know, he might be a bit apprehensive. If you come in pre-prepared and you see a few of these songs, you might go, 
all right, we got really something to work with here. Yeah. You know, versus if they came in and were like, oh, I'm thinking about this and maybe this one. And, yeah. and he could have been like, you know what? You guys aren't ready. Go away. I'm not getting involved in this project. Yeah. So it gives him an opportunity too, to vet it and not have to hobble together a bunch of past it musicians, you know, work, which is, you know, kind of make up for the gaps there, which is what he was probably afraid of having not worked with them. Yeah, I'm Instead, sure when he heard these song yeah. ideas, he was like, Right wow. away, you'd be like, yeah, yeah we got okay. something here. Yeah. This is Once good. Once you heard that intro riff to the Wicker yeah. Man, I'd be like totally sold. Oh, my God. On this album. It's funny, Bruce says about uh, doing his vocals, Yeah. that they kind of recorded these songs live, and then Bruce came back like four or five weeks later, after they'd been doing some overdubs and laying solos in and stuff. Yeah. And he's like, I'm ready to do my vocals now. And Kevin Shirley's like, we already got your vocals. He's like, mm-hmm. Bruce kind of didn't even realize those were the final vocals. Yeah. He was just singing along with the band when they're doing the tracks, the bass yeah. tracks. It's funny. I am Blaze Bailey. You're listening to Talking Maiden, the podcast of the beast. Possibly the best podcast in the world. So then it's mixed and mastered. I don't know when. Mastered at Sterling Sound, New York. Yeah. Um, and then that's pretty much it. The Wickerman single comes out May 8th, 2000. Album comes out May 29th. And then October 23rd, five months after the album, Out of the Silent Planet comes out as a single. Nice. So that's, uh, that's basically how Iron Maiden went from being with Blaze and playing, you know, on a bit of a downturn. Yeah. To coming back and putting out this album, which... With a huge, mega comeback. Yeah, it was, and it was it was the the, the environment was ready for them too. It was oh, two thousand. Yeah. Yeah. You know, music had gone through a lot in the late nineties, right? I mean, it was still trying to, you know, even some bands like you know, um, Pearl Jam, and then were were starting to reinvent, right? Like they have Vitalogy, yeah. and they yeah. were just kind of like people were. They were. I remember when Pearl Jam albums were coming out in early two thousands. People were like, "That's not Pearl Jam." There was this whole yeah. change in music. You know, yeah. Kurt Cobain's Long Dead. It's like everybody's like, "What's alternative? What's this?" I metal was. I mean, remember what Metallica were doing? Everyone was kind of like, "What's coming next?" Yeah. And everybody thought it was over, and then uh, you know, well, they come out with this and oh, they yeah. just restart the new comeback. era. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. Totally, it's a total like. You know, you got a couple of pitches, and you take the first one, just knock it right out of the park. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. But it's pr- what a good way to bring out your album to your reunion album. You kind of make this big press release about like Bruce Dickinson and Adrian coming back in the band. Yeah. So everyone's like, "Whoa!" Right. Mm-hmm. Then you do like a little mini tour, very just give people just a taste. Yeah. And get people hungry for it, yeah. and then you drop this like slab of awesome metal on them. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. And yeah. also. Um, because of the tour was so successful. Yep. You're already, they've come up, they're right. confident, yep. they come in. And then you get the Rock and Rio releases from this too, right? That's right. And that just knocked them up another. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. That's that's quality, you know, and then, and then they, they get into the real high quality uh, production of and the like tour And like Bruce stuff. said too about, uh, mm. he didn't want to be a nostalgia act. Mm. And you look at how many of these songs they played on that tour. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is, yeah. I know that's typical for Maiden, but still. Yeah. Yeah, no, even more so. They come out of the gate with like new song, new song, new song. It's yeah. kind of cool. They usually do. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Rock and Rio is, is dominated by this album. Yeah. So yeah. But this is the beginning of the, what we call the reunion era. Yeah. And it's also the Kevin Shirley era. The new wave. The new. <laughs> the, the new wave of Iron Maiden heavy yeah. metal. <laughs> but people always break it down as yeah, the Paul Diano yeah. era. Yeah. The first Bruce era. Yes. The Blaze era. Yes. And then the Bruce. They always go by. Uh, the lead singer but we always yeah. say it's the Paul Diano era 
Yeah. Then there's the first classic era. Then yeah. there's the no Adrian era, and exactly. then the reunion era. I, I look at it kind of the Adrian perspective too, especially if you're talking to Kevin Shirley, and he says, "So oh, you know the, the trajectory in the last few not been so good." Adrian over there smiling away. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't there, buddy. Um, That's true too. Production. Get yeah. into that a little bit. All right. Well, Kevin Shirley. Yeah. Well, we went into kind of how we people always argue about like Kevin Shirley and Martin Birch. Yeah. And the Martin Birch albums do sound awesome. Yeah. And I. I mean, you could argue all day back and forth. People say that these new albums don't sound as good. Yeah. Um, they sound different. Mm. But I, I'm perfectly happy with the production on all these Kevin Shirley albums. Yeah. Um, it's When you think about it, it's a weird dynamic because, like, the first Martin Birch album was Killers. Mm. And forget about, so they had Will Malone was the producer on the first album. Yeah. Um, they wanted Martin Birch for that first album, but they were kind of, like, didn't think Martin Birch would – you know, yeah, have and, any interest in like producing an album for a new band? Yeah. Um, in fairness, and, before yeah. before you go on, in fairness, there always are a lot of people that love the Iron Maiden production. They just find it so rough and gruff. Yeah. And they say it captured the early yeah. years, but I mean, Killers is is you know studio or mass market scale quality production. Yeah. Yeah. But people basically, you, you need to remember, Maiden's a very young band on Killers. Yeah. Right. They're. They've got this older, experienced Martin Birch who they don't think they're kind of like putting him up on a pedestal. Mm. I mean, he produced Deep Purple Rainbow, Wishbone Ash, all yeah. these bands, you know, that these guys love. Mm. And then they get him doing Killers. It's a very different dynamic when you have like a very young band yeah. with this legendary producer that they kind of feel lucky to have. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know. And I mean, I think he, he, he might have. And him, these stories about him yeah. making. The guys in the band do stuff over and over. I know. Over. He like, came in. He said, "Look, yeah, you're gonna want that cowbell in there. <laughs> you know what this track needs? This track needs a little more cowbell." <laughs> but then you go to the the Kevin Shirley era. It's a yeah. very different dynamic when you have Maiden, who've been through all of this, mm. these classic albums. So now you have a very old, established, legendary band yes. and a relatively new producer. I mean, he yeah. was like ten years into his career, but still. You know what I mean? It's a very different dynamic. And he's kind of, I think this Kevin Shirley, I think the Martin Birch era, Martin Birch, I think, had a lot of say. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the songs were kind of, or maybe he had a lot of say in like the arrangement and you know what I mean? Where I think Kevin Shirley's more of like a hands-off. Steve Harris is kind of doing that role. Yeah. And he's just kind of capturing it and kind of mixing it. Yeah. and, And there's also a ton of tech change through this period too not just production equipment but what you're making it for right like you know killers was arguably made for lp it would have been right i mean there was no cd back then it wasn't digital wasn't flat it wasn't so there's and now you've got an era where if anything things were going towards like people were like mp3s were out people were wondering what was going to be played on so not that that influenced too much of what they were thinking, yeah, but, but it's a whole different. It's a different game completely, yeah, you know. Brave new world. It's a brave new world, <laughs> you know. But it's it's not it's not, um, you know, inconsistent with the theme here that you've got this futuristic city, futuristic London, yeah. and it's a brave new world, and they're trying a new producer and maybe a new way of doing things, but ironically, you know, getting everyone together playing live is kind of old school. It was less yeah. less engineered in a sense. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting. But I just think it's important to pay attention to the the dynamic. When you say these are Kevin Shirley pr- produced albums, mm. I think they're kind of Steve Harris produced albums. Yeah, with Kevin Shirley almost being like a 
more of a hands-on engineering kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think Kevin Shirley's going to stand up and say, like, we need to do this, we need to, well, we already heard that, you know, the Dance of Death had that story about, like, the mix, the temp, the, like, this temporary mix or this, like, yeah. demo mix that they gave to Steve Harris and Steve Harris was like, this sounds great, leave it out as it is. Yeah. And, you know, and then we heard about A Matter of Life and Death not being mastered. Yeah. Remember? Like, you got yeah. all these things and I think yeah. that's something that if Steve Harris said those things to Martin Birch, Martin Birch would be like, no. No way. No way. Zero chance. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if that's necessarily good or bad. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we still have you know, I think these albums could be Kevin Shirley slash Steve Harris produced. In a way, but wasn't Steve Harris's input on the specifically Virtual Eleven? Wasn't that one of the major problems? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that he was he was given yeah. too and much too much rope. Too, yeah, with Nigel Green. Yeah, yeah. He was given too much of a leash, yeah. or, or you know, too much too much leeway. So that's yeah. basically the setup to how our Brave New World yeah. came to be, and yeah. the story behind it. Uh, I was hoping to get into The Wicker Man on this uh, episode. Yeah, so The Wicker Man, you're yeah. going to break it down, and right. you've got a, a full analysis coming. Right. We don't want to rush it now, <laughs> but I do want to hear the intro rift. Yeah, we're not going to get into any tracks on this episode. No. Um, just because if I get into – I'm going to be like a good half an hour getting through uh, The Wicker Man. Yeah. Um, I'll play you a, a teaser for uh, a clip. <laughs> going to be awesome. Yeah, we'll get into that right well, away next. It's no it's no uh secret to everybody. That's one of my favorite tracks, right? right? Like I, I always talk about it. I think I picked as my number one opener. If I didn't, it's my number one opener right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's after hearing that. <laughs> I, know. I loved it in the tour. Uh, it's just amazing. Oh, it's a classic song. It's amazing. Yeah. It's also really relevant. I'm going to jam something in before we wrap okay. up. Um very relevant to my my Leafs. <laughs> Oh, Your God. Boston Bruins are doing amazing. All right. <laughs> okay. We're not even going to get into the Zamboni fiasco. I'm surprised you want to talk about this. <laughs> I don't really want to talk about it. <laughs> okay. But trade deadline came in the past, and we did nothing really. We okay. bit player. Anyway, the message, the wicker man for my players, the Leafs, wake up. You know, your time will come. Let's do this. <laughs> I don't know if it needs to be some cathartic thing, but uh, – we gotta we gotta pull together as a team. That's what we're gonna get. You're gonna destroy us in the playoffs. That's if we get to see you. If we get to the playoffs. Uh, if we get there. Oh my god. Anyway, Snuck in a little Leafs, Leafs minute there. Little Leafs, Leafs thirty <laughs> seconds of and anyway. Next episode we'll get right. We'll have a beer and we'll get right into the Wicker right man. into the Wicker Man. Right into it. I'm looking uh, forward the, to I it. Like, I, yeah, this always happens. Yeah. Me and Josh were like talking about what we we're gonna do this episode, and I was like, "Well, mm. we'll spend the first half <laughs> on the reunion and the yeah. setup, and then we'll get into the Wicker Man." Yeah, that was gonna be our. But first we got episode. some other cool stuff besides tracks too. We got to talk about the, oh, yeah. the cover art and all those. Yeah, we got stuff some around the tour. Interesting cover art. Lead in. Uh, yeah, stuff. It's gonna be an interesting one. Yep. All right. All right. Let's wrap it up. You can get us on Facebook if you want to, and you can get us on email, talkingmaiden at gmail dot com. Yep. Um, if you want to have a comment on anything on this album, get it in fast. Um, we're recording them in rapid succession. We'll try and wrap it up in, in there um, and get your input in. Um, 
You might have already had a chance to get it in because we've done yeah. a, done yeah, a few Yeah, if you calls. have a, uh, something interesting yeah. or a strong opinion about yeah. any of these songs, send yeah. it in. Right on. Yeah. TalkingMaiden.com, Facebook, we're on all that stuff. Send us an email. Leave us a message on TalkingMaiden.com slash talk. Until next time, up the irons and down the hops. Mm-hmm.